Alright, welcome into the latest edition of the Rocky Top Talk podcast. I am your host, Terry Lambert, joined by Nick Carner today. Um, Nick, quite a day to make your podcasting debut, wouldn't you say? Uh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Most definitely uh, trial by fire today, for yeah. sure. <laughs> yeah, I've thrown Nick into the deep end of the pool here. Um, Tennessee has fired Jeremy Pruitt for cause. Uh, that's the big story of the day. An entire new direction. Um, Philip Fulmer has stepped down. He is going to be retiring as the athletics director. Uh, just a massive, massive, uh, honestly dark day um, on Rocky Top. To- Rocky Top. Uh, we've got so much to talk about. Um, we're just gonna we're gonna dive right in. Um, if you're not familiar with our work, RockyTopTalk.com. Uh, very, very busy day over there. If, if you need to catch up on any of the news, it's all posted over there. Um, but Jeremy Pruitt, after three years, uh, is, is out. The 16-19 and 19 record finishes with a 3-7 and seven mark on the 2020 season. Um, all of that kind of takes a backseat to the recruiting investigation done internally by Tennessee. Um, it, it broke on the day of the final game, the game against Texas A&M, and from the jump, you always kind of kept in the back of your head, hey, maybe Tennessee is, is kind of doing this, trying to get out of this massive buyout that they put themselves into uh, with this extension that they gave Pruitt uh, before the, the start of the season, $12.8 million, I believe, uh, now... Uh, Chancellor Plowman says that they're not going to pay a dime of that after what they found in this uh, in, in this investigation. So, a, a really really dark time, uh, Nick, and, and and it leaves Tennessee in a really uncertain place. Yeah, you know, of course, and for Tennessee fans, it's you know becoming all too familiar, and it's kind of odd. I think it's gotten to the point where you know, Vol fans are like looking forward to this kind of thing (laughs) it's it's uh it's these coaching searches these tennessee coaching searches uh they tend to be far more exciting than the product that has been on the field lately um and so you know I i think in the end it's a good thing uh i you know I'm, I think most Tennessee fans sort of feel the same way, um, but you know, was there was there any point in prolonging this whole ordeal? Right. Uh, you know, I, th- I think at least my opinion of it, and I think this a lot of people probably felt the same way. If this investigation turns up things that enabled us to get out of paying that buyout then you know it really it had to be done um you know the product on the field has just been it's been really bad and that's that's even using tennessee's recent scale of (laughs) just being consistently really bad um and so you know i wonder the whole thing has kind of been weird, though, hasn't it? Like, yeah. The the hiring of Steele there, 
that was kind of in the middle of a hiring freeze. Um, it, you know, what did you make? What did you make of of all that and and the transition here? Hey, well, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. That you know, you hire Kevin Steele when there's been a reported hiring freeze. Mm-hmm. Uh, immediately, you know, my antenna kind of goes up. Yes. And I think I think most everybody was with me there, and and that was just it's such an easy transition. You know, maybe maybe not for 2021, but maybe to be the interim, and maybe he he sticks around. But I just I, I saw right through that, and I, and I think mm-hmm. most of the fan base did. And right then and there, we kind of figured, hey, we've we've got we've got something serious here. Uh, so, it, you know, the, the amount of time this took really hurts. You know, you talk about it being a good thing. I, I 100% agree. In the long term, mm-hmm. had to be done. But you know, for the amount of time that it took, and I, and I know they really can't control this. Tennessee's hurting. I, I mean, I mean, it's it's bad. So yeah. this this 2021 class, uh, you're going to be able to let people out of their their letters of, of intention signed. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you've already seen this transfer portal. Ten guys enter since December first. Oh, that's absurd. A, a, a couple <laughs> of guys have come out. Uh, I think you're going to see a couple more enter now that they're in. The, the reaction, of course, from, from the players w- was not great. Mm-hmm. So I think I don't think we're done with the fallout here. Uh, just just the fact that it took so long has is kind of devastating. And now you've got to kind of ask yourself, how attractive is this job? Because now you're looking at, uh, to quote Plowman here, multiple level one and two recruiting violations Mm -hmm. that tells me a postseason ban maybe for a year maybe for two uh loss of scholarships Mm -hmm. uh it's just going to make whoever comes into this job uh it's going to make their job that much tougher so you've got to kind of ask yourself who's going to take this job and and we're going to get into that uh, but to me, just in a general sense, I think you've got to go after a veteran. I think you've got to go after someone that's been there, done that at the Power Five level. That's a tough ask right now. That uh, I mean, let's let's be clear that you're you're putting your career on the line. It's it's going to take someone like a Gus Malzahn. You know, that's kind of the the first name that I went to uh, to come in here clean things up, be squeaky clean recruiting, going to be some really lean years. The fan base is going to have to understand that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, but, you know, let, let's go back and, and understand why the Pruitt era kind of failed. I, I mean, when you look at Jeremy, he was brought in to be an elite recruiter, which he did, um, mm-hmm. you know, and it turns out that he was fired for that, uh, interestingly enough. Um, but I think he swung and he missed too many times on the offensive side of the ball. Mm-hmm. Tyson Helton, offensive coordinator. Jim Chaney, big ticket offensive coordinator. Neither guy worked. Chris Winkie, the quarterback's coach, couldn't develop anybody. Jerry Garantano, uh, JT Shrout, transfer out. Brian Maurer never really settled in. Now, what are you left with? You're left with, with Harrison Bailey. You're left with Hendon Hooker, the the transfer from Virginia Tech. His inability to develop on the offensive side and and really hire the right guy, I think, did him in. 
Well, and, you know, if you go back even to the initial offensive coordinator hire, you know, if you look at if you look at Helton and you look at what he'd done at his previous stops, um, you know, what it, it's always kind of confused me in, you know, just along the lines of I, I imagine Pruitt had an idea of what he wanted to do offensively. And, you know, how does he look at Tyson Hilton's track record? And how does he look at that and say, you know, what this guy does is what I want to do offensively? Because to me, just from an outside perspective, it never looked like it was a good match. Yep. Um, And then, you know, we talk about, you know, Pruitt, what he did wrong and, and his mistakes. And, you know, I think you nailed it in the sense that, you know, the, the just gross mismanagement of the quarterback room, uh, I think as, as important as the quarterback has become in modern day football, uh, if there's one position that you've got to nail, um, or if you don't nail, at least don't miss it so badly. Um, because I, I, th- I think that really, uh, I think specifically, obviously, the offense, but more specifically, the, the quarterback, that I feel like is the biggest indictment on Pruitt. And it's, you know, a major reason why we're sitting here in the situation that we're in. Um, and, you know, I think... I think, you know, Winky, uh, it's Heisman Trophy winning quarterback. And, you know, in in the future, apparently he's been pretty instrumental in the recruiting. Of, it's Isn't it Ty Simpson, the yeah, five-star yeah. in 2022? Uh-huh. Um, and so, you know, that's a positive. But you've had several years here with, you know, with – with Shrout, Maurer, and JG, and I don't feel like you saw any real development. And right. e- even worse, you know, Garantano, I think, was significantly worse this season than he was last season. Um, and, you know, I think there's that, that weight is obviously shared amongst all the offensive coaches uh and i think pruitt probably bears a lot of the responsibility for sticking with garantano when you know just as an example you know shrout comes in and i think he he i don't remember which game it was but he got one drive he threw an interception and he went to the bench yeah, <laughs> and, a Kentucky game. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, the Kentucky game was really, I think, where you saw the season totally go off the rails. Yeah, maybe his entire, you know, Tennessee coaching tenure go off the rails. I, no, you're absolutely correct. And so, I, you know, I, th- I think if you really, you know, if you really want to point to one thing and say, you know, where did it go wrong, 
I think it's I think it's the quarterback room, and but but again from the jump, you know the the Helton match never made sense to me, um, and then you know who who was really behind, you know was was Cheney? Did he have influence in? who played, how many snaps, what the rotation was like as far as the quarterbacks went, or or was that Pruitt? Um, and, you know, I'd be, I'd be interested to know what that dynamic was like because, uh, you know, I don't – I obviously don't know Jeremy Pruitt personally, um, but it kind of seemed like perhaps, you know, even defensively with Ansley – and then on the offensive side of the ball with with Cheney, I kind of wonder how much Pruitt uh, had his hands in those various different things when he probably would have been better suited to be delegating. No, it's absolutely a, a, a really good point. I've, I've thought the same. I think I think many Tennessee fans feel that way. Mm-hmm. Just seemed, yeah. You know, again, we don't have any concrete evidence on this but it just seemed like he kind of had his hands in all the cookie jars and yeah. you know and, and it, when if he wants to go help out the defense that's fine but yes. you you've hired jim cheney to go do his job um <laughs> paid him a lot of money to do so go let him do his job mm-hmm. uh, but you know I, I i look at this roster and in year three if jerry garantano is your your best option you mm-hmm. you failed, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, I really don't like to rail on the kid because no. JG went through a lot. He's a, a tough guy. He, I, I truly think he gave his all for Tennessee. He took Just, a lot of hits and got yeah. right back up every time. I took, mean, took a lot of crap from the fans, mm-hmm. from the media, yep. Um, yep. you know. But the development wasn't there. It happens, mm-hmm. you know. And, and in today's age of the transfer portal. Uh, to not come up with a better solution there it, it is ultimately what got him fired. Mm-hmm. And I'll always believe that. Um, you know, COVID or not, I, I know this mm-hmm. was, a, was a strange off season, but yep. guess what? Everybody had to deal with it. Absolutely. So um, I, I'm not really letting that be a legitimate excuse either. Um, so, well, you, you yeah, saw, go ahead. You saw what JT Daniels did at, right. at Georgia you know, coming in and the first couple games uh, before he was playing versus when he took control of that offense, I mean, the difference was night and day. Yep. And so, I, you know, I again, I don't know where, how to distribute the blame, but ultimately, you know, ultimately it, it, it falls on Pruitt. Right. I mean, you can't say anything else. So... Mm-mm. Um, was did Tennessee have an opportunity here with this investigation? Absolutely. Does it? Do they investigate if he goes seven and three this year? No, they don't. Yeah. That's that's college football. You know that that's just what it is. Tennessee had a chance. They took advantage of it. Mm-hmm. They saved twelve million dollars. Mm-hmm. So that's where we're at. <laughs> um, Tennessee is going to move on. Um, now, now the attention turns first to the athletics director. Tennessee has to has to hire an athletics director. Philip Fulmer stepping down. Um, that's a whole other can of worms. Um, you know, I applaud Fulmer for stepping in when he did. 
it was a disaster. Um, did did how did he get the job? There's some some talk about that. We'll never know. Yeah. But um, Tennessee is turning the page. Um, fresh start. Badly, badly, badly needed. So first of all, they've got to hire an AD. We're not going to sit here and roll through athletic director candidates because, quite honestly, we don't know. Yep. Um, but um, they're going to make that hire. The question becomes, who in the world is interested in this job? Mm-hmm. And I think right off the bat, uh, you've got to talk about Hugh Freeze because that's that's been the guy with the yep. Tennessee fan base. And I don't know about you, but listening to that press conference earlier today, Hugh Freeze is not happening at Tennessee. Um, you know, the words integrity, winning the right way, were all thrown around. Um, I'm sure if you're listening to this podcast, you know what Hugh Freeze did. If you didn't, go ahead and Google it. Yep. Um, I, I just don't think they're going to go down that route, but... I do think they need to get a proven guy in here, and that's why I mentioned Gus Malzahn. Mm-hmm. That's why a guy like Tom Herman, maybe getting a second chance, uh, is attractive. Um, to me, okay, let, let, let's let's stick it to you. If you're Jamie Chadwell, if you're Billy Napier, are you even entertaining this Tennessee job with these potential sanctions coming down the pike? Well, see, and I think... And, and this kind of circles back to Kevin Steele a little bit. And I think this question is really dependent on the timeline that we're looking at. And I don't know that, um, you know, I don't know that f- from listening to the press conference, uh, you know, I, I listened, I think I, you know, I watched it live and then I, I think I maybe read a transcript of it. Um, but you know my interpretation it didn't seem like this was expected to be uh, like a 30 to 60 day type deal Um, now and I could be totally wrong because I have no idea Um, but you know if if I'm if I'm Jamie Chadwell and this is you know this comes down to in a couple months we've got an AD and we're looking for a coach but Chadwell's looking at the situation and we've caught you know a significant reduction in scholarships and also a postseason ban you know there's there's no way I'm taking the job right um, you know and then on the flip side if I'm Tennessee I don't even know if I'm setting my sights on somebody like Chad. Well, not to take anything away from what he did, uh, but I think he's got three years as a head coach. Right. None. And, none at the Power Five SEC level. And, and two of them were losing seasons. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so again, nothing against him, but I, I don't know if that sort of name with that sort of resume is what we should be shooting for now as we've seen in the past the last couple searches uh 
you could say that Tennessee did not get its top target. <laughs> and we ended up moving pretty far down the list before uh, before making a hire. And so, I, you know, I tend to think um, more along the lines of what you mentioned with Malzahn, maybe not Malzahn specifically, but, you know, I like that he's, even if things maybe got a little stale at Auburn and the end wasn't so glorious, uh, I think somebody with, you know, an established record of coaching in our league or in a comparable league and then you know I also would probably lean toward moving with the sort of paradigm change that you're seeing in college football where you know 10 years ago it was defense first um, build from the inside out and and have game managers at quarterback and win games like that but you know watching what just you know watching what Joe Burrow did at LSU watching what Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian did with Alabama and and how they sort of evolved those offensive attacks uh, that's probably more the style that I would like to go for um what what do you think do you do you like the idea of going with an offensive minded guy or you know do you want to stick with you know the old adage defensives win championships uh, well i think you've got to go offense but you know to me i think all of this this these style questions are are secondary mm-hmm. yeah i think you've got to get a guy that's that's been here uh, done that mm-hmm. that's been through the, the ringer um, you know we've, we've talked Gus we've talked Herman uh, yeah. even a guy like Doug Marone yeah you, you know that that's a name that that has been connected to Philip Fulmer I don't I don't know if he's actually in the running now that Fulmer's gonna step down mm-hmm. but just a guy that that's that's been been through it has kind of seen it all um, a guy that's gonna be unfazed by you know a four and eight season because let's be honest this probably was coming they're coming uh, Absolutely. you know but but yeah like you're saying tennessee needs uh, a style change um you know that that's why hugh freeze is so attractive uh an offense like that um scoring points tennessee football would be fun to watch again um you know i'll be honest you know we get paid to write about tennessee football it's a job it is it is a job. Mm-hmm. I wake up on Saturday and I don't want to watch Tennessee football. Uh, it's not fun. <laughs> not at all. Uh, yeah, because because you know you you wake up and you play Alabama, you know it's coming. Uh, so yeah, I would like to see an offense like that. You know, now Lane Kiffin has been floated around. Uh, I don't think Lane Kiffin is going to win you any national championships, but he'd at least be fun. He'd score some points. Yep. Uh, you know, do something different let's get away from trying to recreate uh 2009 alabama yep you know let's let's get away from i formation two receivers two tight ends let's do something outside of the box um so and again we don't know who's going to be making this higher 
Um, odds are it's going to be Jimmy Haslam because he has the most money, and uh, you know that that's a whole separate set of issues here. But again, I think it comes down to how attractive this job is, and I think we can both agree it's not very attractive. Um, so it, it's it's kind of wait and see mode. That's where we're at right now. I just posted um, our first hot board. Uh, kind of going through some of these names, uh, hop in the comments and discuss that. There, um, we're gonna shift gears and we're gonna we're gonna be a little happier, and we're gonna talk about Rick Barnes and the Tennessee basketball team right after this break. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, Nick, uh, we are officially in your wheelhouse. Uh, it's Tennessee basketball time. Excellent. Uh, Tennessee basketball, what, a 10-1 and one now? Uh, just just rolling along, slipped up against Alabama a couple weeks ago. Um, as it turns out, Alabama's really good. Um, just kind of generally speaking, uh, Tennessee was delayed. What has been your takeaway from this team are you kind of surprised at some offensive struggles are you surprised at how good this defense is just super general to kick us off what are your takes on this Tennessee team to start uh, you know to be honest uh, I was pretty vocal on Twitter uh, in the offseason about you know how good I thought this Tennessee team Tennessee team could be uh, and a big part of that was listening to Rick Barnes talk about the team in various media sessions um, we've all we've all heard Rick in his um, chats with the media and reporters and he's he's direct he's blunt and you know you really don't have to guess how he feels and he was this offseason it was the most consistently positive I've heard him speak about a team since he got to Tennessee and that includes the 2018-2019 team that spent what six weeks at number one mm -hmm. or something like that and ended up winning 31 games and uh you know was a carson edwards barrage of threes oh uh, let's not talk about that again <laughs> away <laughs> from going to what that that was in the round of 32 wasn't it so that would have would have been a trip to the sweet 16 or am i a round off I think you're round off. That was the Sweet 16. Okay, so that would have been a trip to the Elite Eight. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so so no, I you know I, I can't say that I'm surprised with this team how good they are. Uh, you know I do think 
you're seeing a little bit of some some struggles occasionally, and obviously we're not struggling that much. You know, Tennessee's ten and one, um, but I think you're seeing a little bit of offensively. You've got Victor Bailey Jr., who's newly eligible this year. You've got um, you've got the two two young freshmen, and so I think you've got you've got a lot of new parts, um, and often it'll take you know it takes teams a while to really get a feel for each other and to to gel, and so. Um, I, th- I think as the season progresses, uh, this team is going to get better. And um, the, you know, the Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer both came in defensively already strong defenders to go with, you know, with Eve's, Eve Pons in the middle. Uh, Jimmy Dykes calls him, you know, the best cleanup defender in college basketball just meaning that you know if if the guys up front let their man blow by them pawns is there to uh clean up with a block shot or you know what have you um so uh, i can't say i'm surprised at how good they are because it's it's a really talented team um and you mentioned the you mentioned the loss to alabama uh so i think i think that sort of caught some people off guard uh but it turns out that alabama's really good this year yeah (laughs) and you know i don't know about you but you know to me it looks like they're at the very least one of the top three teams in the sec this year yeah i mean you could make an argument that it's uh it's a tennessee and alabama Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't fight you. And, and I think it's important to note, Jaden Springer went out within five minutes of that, of that game against Alabama. Yep. And just watching Tennessee's offense uh, in the second half of that game, they really could have used Jaden Springer, um, <laughs> a guy that was really starting to come into his own, uh, really starting to create for for the offense. Uh, to to lose him w- was a big deal. Um, Fulkerson and, and, and Pons were also in foul trouble uh, in, in that game too. So I, I think it was kind of a perfect storm, uh, not taking any away from, anything away from Alabama. Obviously, like you said, they're very good. Um, but I'll be interested to see um, that second meeting if it comes uh, in, in the SEC tournament. I think that'll be a fun one. Um, you kind of touched on this. Uh, this this team's different. Uh, they're they're deeper. There's not any clear option. You know, last year down the stretch, it was kind of throw the ball into Fulkerson, see what happens. Um, You know, before that, it was kind of throw the ball into Grant, and maybe Grant kicks it out to Admiral or he finds the rim. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, you've got Fulkerson, you've got Pons, you've got Keon, you've got Jaden, you've got... Uh, Victor Bailey, you've got Santiago, uh, not to mention D- Josiah James. It seems like they've just got a lot of moving parts, and and you touched on this, but it doesn't seem like they've gelled. And it seems like this group has so much more upside, and if they can just find a way to kind of gel and get a rotation, 
Um, I think they can be a top five squad. They, they moved up to number six in the AP poll, but you know, I, I think they could go hang with a Gonzaga, go hang with a, a Villanova, a, a Michigan, one of them upper upper tier teams. Uh, what do you think about that? I just I don't think we've seen anywhere close to their best game just yet. Well, I think it's disappointing that the Tennessee's COVID issues occurred when they did, and yeah. obviously there's no good time for that. Um, but the time that it did occur happened to uh, nix the games. I think we lost the Gonzaga matchup. We lost a game against VCU. We lost a game against Notre Dame. And I think those games would have yeah, really... Yeah, Wisconsin, uh, Memphis, too. Yeah, yes, exactly. And so uh, you've got several games there that would have really shown the fans uh, get how good this team could be. And it was early in the season and so there's a there's a there was a good chance that we could have got shellacked in a couple of those games um but uh, you know so it's disappointing that we didn't get to see those um but to you know kind of to your point about the you know the team not gelling and not having a go-to guy uh, i think you'll start to see uh jaden or Keon become that go-to guy. They're they're really the only you know. Vescovi is he's mostly a spot-up shooter, right? And he's just he's limited athletically, and so he's got he's got great vision. Uh, he's done well to cut down on the turnovers, um, but getting to the basket. He can't really just blow by people. He's got to rely on understanding the angles. He's got to be he's got to be crafty. Um, Victor Bailey, he's more athletic, but he also tends to be more comfortable in a catch and shoot role. And so, with the offense, because of some of the you know some of those limitations, I th- I think that sort of makes the lack of a go-to guy a little more apparent um but this this team whereas you know they they're not necessarily uh built to beat guys off the dribble and go one-on-one i think on the flip side of that you're seeing uh you're seeing a really good passing team yeah, um, and and I think some of that's a, a function of necessity, uh, and and you know not only I th- I, what was it the two games ago maybe we had one game recently, and maybe you can help me. Um, let's see, we had it was the game where we we basically had assists on eighty five percent of our made baskets. Uh, let's see, what game was that? Maybe A and M. I think it was twenty-three out of. Yep, that was it. So you had twenty-three assists on twenty-seven makes, um, and that's just an absurd number. 
I mean, that's, you know, that's wild. Um, and so, you know, with without having a real go-to guy, you've, you've got the guys really moving the ball well. Um, but I think as Keon and Jaden become more comfortable, I think you're likely to see those guys be more assertive and as opposed to you know taking a couple dribbles and stopping and taking like a 10 to 12 foot jumper I think you'll see them start to be more assertive and take it straight to the rack yeah and on Viscovia I'm gonna back up just a little bit I I was texting a buddy and I, I agree with your assessment that he's pretty much just a spot up shooter right now and I was telling him, we need to put Springer at the point, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and we need to let Viscovi go be Skylar McBee out here. Yep. You know, I and I wanted to, to get your quick thoughts on that. I just I just think we're trending in the direction of of putting Jaden at the point guard and letting him create because at this point I think he's our best creator on the team. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, a little bit of a shameless plug for me, uh, I recently wrote an article and it was about Jaden Springer and his you know playmaking ability and I think I'm trying to remember which game it was oh that was against A&M too so you saw you know you saw his in that game you really saw his vision and his ability to create and you know, Terry, a couple of those of those passes in the A and M game were just silly. Oh, they're special, yeah. <laughs> I mean, they were phenomenal passes and you know, the the way he was and in the article I talked about, he was cross sport metaphor here, he was like a quarterback who moves the safety over to the right with his eyes and his head, he looks right but the whole time he knows he's going to throw it to his left. So he moves the safety to the right and then hits the guy that's got single coverage on his left. And you saw Jaden doing some of that against Texas A&M. And that's, I mean, that's, that's high-level basketball. And hopefully, and even Barnes, Barnes talked about it in the offseason, about wanting to move Vescovi off the ball. Um, you know, Rick was excited about the chance of him getting to to play that role of more off the ball catch and shoot. Um, and I think, you know, in the off season, we were at least I was a little concerned about the backup point guard role um, because. Bailey, Johnson, Springer, they're more naturally suited to play off the ball. But like you said, I think we're seeing Jaden become more comfortable. And, you know, I'm with you. I would like to see him get a lot more opportunities, you know, playing lead guard and initiating the offense. Um, but I, th- I think part of the concern there is that Vescovi seems to be still the only one who's 
consistently comfortable bringing up the ball and handling the ball against pressure. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't know about you, but I think the only way to get through that and to get Jaden more comfortable handling the ball is to let him do it in game yep. situations. Yep, I'm I'm 100% in agreement. And you've got yeah, what yeah, half the con- over half the conference season to do that before you start getting into tournament stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I'm with you. I think it's something that we need to see. Um, you know, I think you hit the nail on the head with Viscovi just being limited um, athletically, and the TV broadcast touched on that. You know, and that might have worked um, where he's used to playing, but it's not going to work in the SEC. Uh, going in and, and throwing up those shots, all of them against Alabama that got thrown out. So yeah. I, yeah, I think I think this team is still evolving, you know, and you know you hope that they can keep this core together, uh, perhaps for another year. Um, I don't think it's likely. Mm-hmm. Um, you've mm-hmm. got an article coming out in the morning. Uh, if we want to preview that real quick before we get out of here. Uh, on Keon and Jaden's uh, pro prospects, what do you think about each of those guys, and in particular Keon, since we've talked so much about Jaden? Mm-hmm. What do you think about uh, what they're going to do and their decision to enter the league next year? Well, I think preseason you saw uh, a lot of mock drafts, and it was a pretty consistent theme that most people expected uh, both of them after this season to get lottery grades and go ahead and make the jump to the NBA. Um, And Keon, I was actually, I was more excited about Keon than I was Springer before the year started. And I'm no I'm no scout. I'm no talent evaluator. I just I just watch the games. Uh, but Keon in high school, you know, you saw his highlights, and uh, I was in the article I reference uh, one of our um, co-workers at SB Nation, Ricky O'Donnell, who does all kinds of stuff. But one of the things he works on is the NBA draft, and uh, he called in his mock draft in his first mock draft uh, for the 2021 draft he called Johnson a nuclear athlete and you know I I love that phrase because you know when when you watch him that's what you see yep. uh, you know his his shooting is still not quite there uh, he's just he's gone one for one from three in the past two games and that's risen his percentage to uh like 24 percent from deep that's rough yeah that's that's tough it's hard to make it in the league shooting 24 percent from three-point range uh but you know you see plays um you see plays like that up and under move um Oh, Terry, what game was that from? Was that from the A&M game as well? Oh, man. Uh, Might have been Arkansas. Either way, you know, he drives baseline, and he goes up, 
and he leaves the he leaves the floor, you know, a good two or three feet away from the basket, and goes up and just glides through the air. Uh, goes up on the far side of the rim, glides through the air, then goes under the basket for a reverse layup and finishes. And it, you know, the Tennessee basketball Instagram account made a comparison to that famous Dr. J move where, of course, yeah. yeah, and you know, it does. The similarities were, uh, you know, pretty serious. It was, it was just a beautiful play. Um, but I think Keon, I think he's a little less polished than Jaden is at this time. Um, and so, you know, the kind of common opinion, I think, is still that both of them will get lottery grades and both of them will go. But, you know, right now... I think Jaden is the more well-rounded player and, you know, Keon potentially and, you know, the NBA drafts on potential. We know that. But he's, you know, he's a really, really good defender um, and he's athletic. But if you can't shoot from consistently from outside 10 feet and you're a guard... Uh, you know where does that where does that put your draft status likely to be at? Yeah, especially in in today's league. You know, we've seen such an emphasis ever since Steph Curry entered the league on the on the three ball, and we've kind of seen the league evolve and, and build around that. So mm-hmm. that that's definitely something that has stood out to me. Um, his lack of shooting. Um, and and you said it in in your three things post and it. it for the Vanderbilt game, you know, if you don't have it, it's it's kind of hard to learn it. You know, mm-hmm. it, not a lot of people that don't have it find it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that that's something that that we need to pay close attention to. Um, something that that might you know keep him in Knoxville. I think it I think it's a it's a long shot, but mm-hmm. it's something that might keep him in Knoxville for another year. Um, you know, real quick, someone someone dropped this comparison early in the year, mm-hmm. and it stuck. And it was and it was Dwayne Wade for Keon mm. Johnson, right? And you know that that just really you know a guy that struggles from the outside, mm-hmm. uh, but a guy that can really finish at the rim, really creative at the rim. Um, so I, I think that's kind of his his ceiling. Uh, where does Dwayne Wade go in today's NBA? I don't know. It's mm-hmm. it's changed it's changed quite a bit. Um, but it, it's exciting, you know. It, it, Tennessee's kind of got a pipeline here mm-hmm. uh, to the NBA for the first time, really ever. Um, it, it's it's not going to stop. Rick Barnes is recruiting like a madman. He's got it rolling, mm-hmm. um, and and Tennessee's going to have decisions to make every single off season. Yep. So, you know, you look at uh, look at the up- upcoming schedule. You got what a trip to Florida. And then you're home against Missouri. So it's a pretty big week for Tennessee basketball. You know, just completely overshadowed by the dumpster fire that is Tennessee football. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, that's typically how it, how it always is. But mm-hmm. anyways, we'll, uh, we'll have both sports covered. 
Uh, Nick will be primarily on the basketball beat. Uh, I'll have football covered, and everyone else will probably be on football as well. Uh, <laughs> but Nick will have you cover on the basketball side. Check out RockyTopTalk.com. Uh, we're going to post these a lot more often. Uh, me and Nick on here are going to get you through the basketball season and whatever comes of this Tennessee football coaching search. So be sure and subscribe. Drop us a comment. Drop us a rating. Uh, you can find us on any major podcast platform. Uh, and, and thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time. <laughs>